Hey guys, this is Brian Barney and you're listening to Eastman's Elevated Podcast. So that's right, Eastman's Elevated, it's official. We got the merge and the partnership done and and uh, I'm just super excited to partner with such a great company in Eastman's. You know, I, I've been with them now for, for a bunch of years writing for them and, and doing some filming now and they've just always treated me great in there and and I know they're really excited about the podcast and helping me grow this thing and helping me get quality guests. And uh, so this thing's only going to get better from here. And it'll it'll still be me on here and I'll still be making mistakes and messing up words and, and uh, my, my non-editing approach to the podcast. But, you know, I also think that's what makes it good. You know, it, it's organic and it's free-flowing. You know, and it, it's what comes to mind. And I, you know, I just want to continually work to get better and, and get you guys good information for good public land tactics out there. Um, so being Eastman's now, uh, what we've got going on there at the magazine or at Eastman's, the company, we've got the gear guide this month. So you may have noticed in your last magazine, you got a little pamphlet with a, with a Christmas gear guide in it. Um, they've got just a, a bunch of deals on subscriptions in there. Um, decals, uh, gosh, and, and I really like, you know, their new, uh, sweatshirts, t-shirts and hats, their new logos they're coming out with and colors they're coming out with. And in fact, I had to remind Scott today, I said, Hey, you got those, those new sweatshirts in there. You got a, you got, you got another one for me. Uh, what I, I told him, you got an extra medium. That's my size in between a medium and large. Um, so I had to get one coming so I could, I could get it here and start wearing it. But, uh, um, yeah, so we got the gear guide. It's also available, you know, on the website, click the banner there and you can get into it, but a bunch of good stocking stuffers and, and good Christmas gifts for, for those hunters out there. Um, and, and a good chance to enter yourself to, to win that hunt of a lifetime that they offer every year to, to different subscribers. Um, so get in on that deal. Um, Today on the podcast, um, I had a I had Matt Harsky. He kind of looked me up, and we started talking. And the guy is just a fitness guru. He's just super knowledgeable about fitness, um, focusing and getting ready. He does some personal training for for hunters to get them ready for next season. Um, just a wealth of knowledge. He was a college athlete. I think a pro athlete. Um, well, I'm not sure on that. I think he was training for the Olympics or something like that. Just a world-class runner. Um, and he's really got into a lot of strength training now, um, strength training for the backcountry. And so, you know, sometimes uh, we differ on opinions on, on what's the right thing, you know, for, for the hunter, for the backcountry backcountry hunter to to prepare for next season and it's like this mix between strength and endurance and where is the line in between strength and endurance and we're all trying to draw that line but but he's just a wealth of knowledge and and I learned a lot from talking to him and I'm sure you guys will too so it's um it's really fitness heavy this week we you know I finally get into hunting towards the end we talk about oh his Africa trip and and uh, hunting with his kids and a few different things but but a lot of fitness in there and and uh, it went long I just had so many questions and so much stuff to talk about but um, he's a super knowledgeable guy and well spoken and and I think you guys will pick up some good tips to prepare for next season so um here we go let's get this thing rolling oh in typical brian barney fashion um the recording i missed like the first few words in it but we get into it real quick you know we're just talking about the the roads and the ice and that i don't know how that happened but uh probably won't be the last time so uh enjoy guys we'll get this thing rolling
Oh man, yeah, you know, and it wasn't even a snowstorm is the bad thing. That that summit just gets nasty with the wind, and you you know we got enough of that down here. Oh, gotcha. Nothing slicker than that wind shear on roads, is it? It just makes for glaze ice. Right, exactly. And that I-80, man, is just packed with semis. And so <laughs> it just it makes me nervous, so I just drive slow. Oh, man, that's a dangerous road. Well, good for you. Yeah, yeah we've got to make it home, slow it down. That's what I do on those roads, too. Absolutely. So sorry it's so late. I, I appreciate you accommodating the time. Yeah, no worries at all, man. I, I'm super glad you hit me up. And, um, yeah, really glad to meet you and have you on the podcast. You just seem like a wealth of knowledge for, for fitness, and you've got this – this new website that you've started, um, it's uh, uh, I Hunt Fit, is that right? That's correct, yep. Yep, and yep. so um, it looks like it's um, like a personal trainer for hunters, right? So you kind of cater to them for their their diet and exercise and kind of figure out the right program to get them in shape to, to meet their goals? Yeah, exactly. You know, and the way that it – it's kind of the way that it started, you know. I, I wanted to – be able to offer that uh, that that coaching piece to to hunters so that instead of and we've got a lot of great great names out there that have pioneered and really you know brought fitness to the hunting world you know I mean Cameron Haynes obviously I mean you think of Zach Griffith and and these guys that you know really push that preparation piece but the thing that that my my criticism if I had any criticism of them I mean was that, you know, they're not really coaches, you know, I mean, they use their own coaches or they just have developed something that, uh, that works for them, which is great. You know, one is greater than zero doing something is better than nothing. And, and those kinds of things. But I, I, in my old age, I'm really picky about safety and trying to offer people something better, more structured. And so that's, that's kind of where my idea came from. Um, going forward, I kind of, I really want to expand on on the whole idea and just make iHunt Fit more of a resource than anything, and so have the coaching be a piece of that for anybody that's interested in in doing it. But have it be more of a resource, you know, where we talk to lots of experts or lots of hunters who use preparation, like yourself, um, to to help them be more successful and to you know just to be able to even survive, you know, <laughs> ten days in the backcountry or, or or whatever it is. Um, so anyway, yeah, going more of the resource route and, and if they need coaching, great, you know, but trying to give them as many tools as we can. Man, yeah, I think you found a great niche, and I think like uh, today's day and age, you know, is this this new age of hunting where people are taking their fitness real seriously. And like you say, there's been a couple guys that have brought it to the forefront, but it, it seems like most guys now, or a lot of guys, are trying to get themselves in better shape to to hit the hunting woods better. And I know for me, I mean, it's been my biggest secret for the last 15 years is just working hard towards my goals year round and and being in that good shape and and you had um like i've been doing just a little bit of research and seeing what you're all about but i saw a post where you put um like the 10 best tips where being in good fitness has helped you i think that's a uh it had some things in there that i hadn't even thought about that i think's great for hunters so like you say i think you're already starting this this great place for a great resource for hunters to go to to get in better shape awesome awesome yeah i appreciate it you know and that's that's really what it's about i mean you know the the hunting world is so different from the fitness world. You know, I mean, I've, I've had 
Facebook and Instagram accounts and, and gyms and, and been a part of the, just the fitness world for so long. And there's a, there, you know, from, from some aspects, I mean, there's a lot of family to that. There's some support, but nothing like there is in the hunting community. You know, I mean, to get an Instagram page started in the fitness world and to actually have people follow and find value in it is, is kind of like pulling teeth, really. You know, whereas in the hunting world, the hunters are so supportive of each other, it seems like. I mean, and I know that, you know, there's certain subjects that cause some friction, but but overall, I mean, hunters, you know, if it's Instagram, Facebook, whatever, they're so quick to like and support other hunters. You know, whether it's, you know, somebody just laid down a doe or, um, you know, kids getting started or somebody killed their first bull, you know, and even if it's a you know, a raghorn. I mean, just super supportive. And, and I love that about the hunting community. And that's what really lights my fire with this is, you know, not even, you know, trying to make money off of it necessarily, but just being that resource and, and supporting and helping people enjoy that backcountry as much as you and I do because of the preparation. You know, I, I just find that there is absolutely no doubt that I enjoy my time in the woods more when I've prepared for it. Oh man, isn't that the truth? Yeah, no, you you enjoy it so much more. The the mountains are so brutal, and you train for them, and you think about them nonstop. But mm-hmm. it seems like when you get there, it's even tougher than you imagine. And and like you say, as the days go on, day seven, day eight, day nine, to to keep pushing hard and pounding those mountains is tough. And and the better shape and the better fitness you're in, just the the better prepared you are for the mountains and and the hurdles it's going to throw at you. So no, I um no, I believe a lot in the product you're putting out, and uh, um I I think there is a real real niche for it in the hunting community and like you say i love all the positivity i see too and and i am just kind of new to social media i think i lived in a cave forever um (laughs) i was just i was keeping all my content original for the magazine all my pictures and stories and things and and thought i had to keep that original when when really i had the wrong approach at it where i needed to share it with other hunters and and give them a taste of what i do and and show what i do and interact back and forth and that even build a bigger following in the hunting community but um like you say i just love all the positivity on all the social media and hardly you know a couple controversial subjects but other than that i mean everybody is super supportive and 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 encouraging which i just love to see absolutely absolutely yeah and i'm you know when uh i came across you know you and i got connected because of zach harold and his podcast um but since then, you know, after after following you, I mean, I, I love seeing the stuff that you post. I mean, and it doesn't it doesn't matter what it is, really. I mean, we can all relate to that feeling, you know, when you see, you know, somebody looking out over a ridge or a valley or, or you know, sharing time with family outdoors. I mean, it just there's just something about that, that if you're really a hunter, that it ignites a passion inside you. You know, you just can't help but connect with that person. I, I love that about it. Yeah, for sure. So, um, and it looks like you've got a background in fitness and you've worked hard to get yourself self in exceptional shape. So you, it looks like you were a personal trainer or are a personal trainer. Is that right? Day job? Yeah. 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 I've been a personal trainer since, uh, I guess mid to late, uh, nineties. Um, you know, and that's taken, taken different paths there, uh, from, from whether it, you know, working, working in the high schools in the beginning and, and coaching there to moving on to athletic director. And then I moved on to the college level and became real st- serious on the strength and conditioning side of things and 
um, yeah, it's just, it's been a part of my, that's who I've been as a, as a professional. It's been my career for a long time before that, you know, athletics has always been a piece of, of who I am. So yeah, it's been a long, long journey down the fitness road. Man, what a great addition to the to the hunting world to have you as a resource. Um, well, how cool. So I, I want to get into some of your fitness stuff that you do. Um, you know, I guess my biggest, I mean, I've got a ton of questions. It's so nice to have you on the podcast and be able to pick your brain on fitness and nutrition just with your knowledge. Um, so... I guess we'll start like like how do you you know what's a do you cater each plan to each individual individual hunter and what their goals are or do you have you know a, a set plan that you do like as far as cardio versus uh, strength training or anything like that? Oh man, yeah, um, <laughs> uh, boy, there really there's a there's a couple big questions rolled rolled in there. Um, you know what? I think that. Uh, for me, the personal piece is huge, and it's been that way. Whether you're talking about a, a client who walks into to my gym, um, and that's all we do, by the way, is is focus on the individual and small group training. So everything is personal. So that that word personalized is very important to me. I hate the cookie cutter programs. Um, really against bringing you know 15, 20 people into an arena and having them go at it. You know, uh, a lot of times that situation leads to, you know, 10, 15, 20, 30 people on one coach. So it makes for a very unsafe environment. I think it limits results. So yes, I believe in very personalized training and, and that's true with I hunt fit coaching as well. Um, every single person, their situation, circumstance, life is different. And so that training absolutely needs to be catered to them and their goals uh, yeah, for sure. For sure. Completely customized. Yep. So, uh, go ahead. Yep. Sorry. I, uh, like you say, I've got so many questions. I don't know where to start, but uh, I know it's uh, such a, it's a, oh man, it's such a huge, huge topic. So I'm glad you've got questions cause you'll have to keep me, uh, keep me narrowed down. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So, um, you say, uh, it, I've heard you mention safe now a couple times. So safety is a, is a big deal to you when your training is to try to avoid injuries, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, there's just there's very different levels of uh, of coaches and personal trainers out there, um, and so I think it's really really important um, when people are looking at getting into a program to really research who that coach is, what that philosophy is. Um, for me, when a client walks through the door or I pick up the phone to talk to somebody new that's doing online coaching. The first thing that I tell them is your safety is my number one priority. Number two is feeling comfortable with the program, the plan, your coach. And number three, then we worry about your goals. So safety is huge, you know, and that stems from all the way back when when I was a college athlete and after that trying to make the Olympic team. I mean, I couldn't afford to be injured. And so I was really afraid and we were always pushing that envelope where, you know, injury was always it was always a real potential. But man, it, how aggravating, you know, and, uh, and frustrating that can be when you've got big goals. And so coming from that background, I didn't want anybody else to ever have to feel that way either. And especially as a coach, when your reputation's on the line, um, when, you know, you really care about people and you want to see them succeed, you've got to be careful, you know, and the human body's unpredictable, but there are a lot of things we can do to, to minimize risk and minimize injury. 
Yeah, for sure. No, there's nothing more frustrating than an injury, especially when you're training hard towards something. And when you get an injury, it seems like all the body wants is rest. And that's the one thing you don't want to give it. You know, you want to keep working hard and you may give it a couple days and then you're back at it and you aggravate it again or even a couple weeks and aggravate it again. But man, there is nothing more frustrating than an injury. No, I hear you there. So um, when uh, you guys do, you do a lot of stretching in your programs or have you incorporated any uh, yoga in your programs for uh, flexibility? That's a great question. I would say that stretching is probably one of the most debated topics in fitness still to this day. You know, does it work? Doesn't it work? When should you do it? Um, You know, to what extent should you do it? Um, For me, my personal philosophy has uh, tended to revolve around, you know, we we don't really stretch before training Um, from from a couple of experiences there and a couple of uh, bits of research that I tend to believe um, based on personal experience and athletes, especially that has led me to uh, that philosophy, even for general clients. And that's, you know, when we, uh, when we stretch cold, obviously we can create micro tears in the muscle and predispose that muscle to injury. So one of the worst things that I hate seeing, you know, I've got, I've got young kids coming up through sports and unfortunately we still have, you know, those volunteer coaches and whatnot that don't know any better. Maybe the kids run a lap or two and they're circled up out there doing stretches. And I just cringe every time I see that because they're putting those little kids um, at risk of injury right off the bat before we've even started, you know, practice or, or a game. So um, don't do a lot of stretching beforehand unless we are very, very warm. You know, if we're talking about 10, 15, 20 minutes extended warm up, then we'll include some stretching. More than anything, we do um, dynamic stretching. And I try to I try to use that without telling somebody that that we're necessarily stretching because I don't want them to get the the wrong idea of the things that they should be doing. So um, when I say dynamic, um, you you probably already know this, Brian, but for your listeners, you know, we're talking the difference between static stretching and dynamic stretching. Static stretching is like your reach and hold type movements, Um, uh, bending over at the waist and touching your toes and trying to hold that stretch for you know, 10, 20, 30 seconds, whatever it may be, versus dynamic stretching may be um, an example of that might be bouncing on your toes, you know, uh, running high knees or marching high knees in place. Um, Lunges even can be an example of dynamic stretching where we're working the muscle, we're warming it up while, um, while we're actually taking it through some movement. And so that tends to be a safer route. and then if I'm going to incorporate any static stretching or yoga, it's usually after the workout or on a separate day from a workout. If we're talking about yoga, um, I tend to like hot power yoga a little bit more because it creates, again, another warmed up environment for for that static type movement to go on. Yeah. So that's that, that that's a whole lot there, Brian. But anyway, that's that's my philosophy on stretching in a nutshell. No, for sure. No, that makes good sense being warmed up so you don't create micro tears. But but two, there's like this level uh, uh, of stretching when you do it day in day out, or yoga, or like you say when you're warm. That I think also builds flexibility. You know, I've noticed. You know, and I just picked it up. I never used to stretch, or I never used to do any of it before wrestling, before running. And, and you know, I noticed that I got weak points like in my back, and when I 
um, you know, when I'd move in awkward positions or awkward situations is where I could pull that out of place or my neck out of place or something. And, and since I found yoga and stretching day in, day out, I've been able to, to move my flexibility bar to where, you know, I, I've made myself more flexible to where now I don't pull those muscles out as much at all. Like, I feel like I've moved that threshold a little bit. So that's why I was curious about it. But I, I love your theory on warm stretching, like, um, after you're warmed up or after you're workout i do um you know like a lot like in the sauna when i'm all warm after a workout mm-hmm. i'll stretch out in there um but right. i think that's a great tip not to stretch cold too i like that absolutely yeah you're exactly right you know and i am i'm a believer in stretching from that standpoint you know i just you have to be careful when you give that advice you know because then um sometimes people will forget the details you know and all they'll remember is Oh yeah, he said stretching was good, you know, and oh, I feel pretty warm today, you know, it's it's 70 degrees out and I'm going to I'm going to stretch. And that's not exactly the idea, you know, behind that. I can remember all the way back, um it was very early on in my coaching when I was coaching um track athletes, you know, and all through all through my athletic career, we did the the stretching beforehand. You know, whether it was 10, 15, 20 minute warm up, maybe even no warm up, we always stretched before working out. And I remember when I started coaching, that's that's what we did as well. And then the art, some articles started coming out, some research started coming out about um, switching to dynamic stretching, um, you know, doing a whole bunch of drills even before real intense speed workouts on the track rather than any of that static stretching. And we found a marked decrease in injury rate with those high school kids switching to the dynamic drills beforehand and trying to get those kids to eliminate, you know, the the old pulling the the foot to the butt, you know, stretching the quad type movement, um, or the lunge stretching the hamstring out too much, or uh, pressing the heel down to the the floor and stretching those calves out. Um, getting away from those types of movements really decreased the injury. And and I'll tell you one step further. I, I, this is probably a little bit more than your question asked, but once uh, once I got a lot more into the strength and powerlifting realm. You'll notice that, that power lifters, uh, they, they don't spend a whole lot of time stretching beforehand either. And the, the reason for that is not from an injury standpoint, but it's physiological that uh, we, we have a natural stretch reflex. And so if I'm going down into my squat, for instance, and I haven't stretched beforehand, I've just used warm-up sets or dynamic stretching to, to get the muscles ready to perform that work, I have a natural set reflex point there where I'm going to automatically trigger my stretch reflex. The muscle is going to fire me back up out of that squat. If instead I use static stretching and I stretch those hamstrings and I stretch my glutes and I stretch my quads out, I increase my range of motion around the joint. And so I've increased the range of motion to the point where I'm going to hit that stretch reflex. And so not only does it get me further down into a squat, it, which could potentially, you know, increase my risk of injury if that's below the point where my body normally needs to fire. It can also make me a little weaker if I get below uh, my strength or power point there where that set um, stretch reflex should have been. And so that's one reason why you don't see powerlifters doing that. And another great reason to use dynamic stretching beforehand and um, static stretching after your workouts. 
Yeah, that makes total sense. Yeah, no, I have to mix more of that dynamic stretching in. Um, so just on a personal note, like you said, um, high knees, like butt kicks, um, side to side. Like, what would other, what would be some other good dynamic stretches? Absolutely. Oh man, I have, uh, I have a, a huge list of those um, that that I'll have to send you, Brian. But uh, there's there's all kinds, you know, skipping, um, any kind of bounding hopping movement, whether it be, you know, like shadow jump rope in place. Um, we always, you always want to make sure that you're starting out two legs on any kind of hopping exercise. So going through, um, you know, your, your shadow jump rope type movements, then progressing on to like bunny hops. Um, and then maybe things with the feet apart a little bit or ski jumps side to side before we move on to single leg type movements, whether you're single leg hops or hopscotch type type movements but all of those are great exercises um you can even take a little bit of movement out of that you know and where you're leaning up against the wall and doing leg swings forward and backwards mm -hmm. to get those hips and, and hamstrings stretched out a little bit more from there um one of my very favorite uh warm-up exercises to do is the walking straight leg deadlift so basically you're just walking taking a step reaching down, touching your toes on one leg while you raise the other leg up behind you um, and just alternating steps like that gets those lower legs really warmed up. Upper body, you know, is as simple as um, the upper part of a jumping jack movement or arm circles, um, things, things like that are going to help get those shoulders and chest and back warmed up for, for upper body movements. Oh, man, that's great. Um, yeah, for sure. So for me, like um, – uh, a lot of twisting with my back would probably be good, right? Because that's where it goes out on me, lower back and upper back, and not so much anymore. Like I said, I don't think I've even had a minor injury in the last two or three years, but for me, it seems like that twist would get me warmed up pretty good. It can. Um, we want to be a little bit careful with the twist. As long as it's in a standing position, we're good. Um, there's been some research come out, I don't know, um, specifically in the last year, maybe a little bit longer, a little bit further beyond that, um, where we want to get away from any kind of seated twisting movements like our old school Russian twists, okay. um, where we're using weight or no, no weight, um, because it creates, it generates so much pressure on the lower spine and the discs that we want to try to stay away from those movements where the hips are anchored to the floor or in a decline bench. I, I used to do them all the time. I, I'd put, uh, I put the lat pull-down bar behind my shoulders, lean back on a decline bench, and twist away. It's a great movement for your obliques, um, but my lower back did tend to get pretty pretty stiff from those, and so they say that we're putting undue pressure on there, and we could really create some herniated disc problems by that. So okay. as, as long as you're doing all that twisting-type stuff from a standing position, you're good to go. Oh, gotcha. Okay. You know, uh, a, great one, a great one for you, Brian, might be uh, – I don't know if you use bands very much, but mm – -hmm. Anchoring um, a band, you know, say uh, say on a squat rack or or any any other kind of upright structure, stepping back away from it, holding it extended with two arms, and then twisting side to side with that band is is a really great way to to get that back warmed up dynamically. And those those exercises that stretch and strengthen at the same time, like that one, and like uh, you know those walking straight leg deadlifts I talked about, those are those are excellent for for everybody. 
Oh, gotcha. Yeah, no, that's awesome. I'm I'm taking notes. Yeah, I think that would be great for me to get warmed up, like you say, that resistance on there and just a little bit of twist to get that thing warmed up. But uh, a standing position, like you're saying, I didn't know that about the sitting position. But it makes yes. sense with your hips being your, your lower body being held to the ground like that. You are putting a lot of pressure, you know, on your lower back, like you're saying. Absolutely. You know, and I, I think for me, I think I just got lucky because I, I have a pretty strong core um, but I, I can remember getting pretty stiff doing, doing those types of movements. And I, I'm probably just lucky that, that I didn't get hurt. But anyway, we try to stay away from those with gotcha. clients now. Yep. Yeah. Um, so what do you, um, so we got into like cardio versus strength a little bit. I'm so cardio heavy, heavy, and I, I believe in strength training and I believe in total body fitness. But for me, the cardio means everything to me. My, you know, my my running time, my my VO2 max, my resting heart rate, like that's how I judge my fitness. And, and I want to be strong and be able to carry a pack. And I I do like having muscle on me. But teaching that muscle endurance is so important to me for that mile after mile in the mountains. Like, how do you prepare guys for that, or or how much do you uh, have guys work on their cardio? You know, this is something that uh, that you know I've I've tossed around quite a bit. Just for I'll, I'll just talk personally. You know, uh, coming from that running background, um, running at such a high level. When I when I left school and went out into the coaching world, that was my philosophy. I believed that we would control weight loss, we would control fitness with cardio, specifically running. You know. Um, when I went to school, I was a, I was a multi-sport athlete and, you know, I weighed, I think I weighed in around 168 pounds on day one. And I, I know that because coach was weighing everybody as we came through the office on day one. And I remember stepping on that scale and coach saying, 168, Hartsky, you gotta, you gotta get cut down, buddy. And I'm like, well, man, I thought I was pretty fit. You know, I mean, I'm, I can run a 420 mile and you know, I'm, I'm doing all right. Like, <laughs> yep. Oh no, 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 no. You, you're, you need to be, you need to be around 140 by the time we go to nationals, Wow. you know, and, uh, you know, lo and behold with, uh, you know, some diet adjustments and the heavy mileage and, and whatnot. Yeah. I, I, I think I ran nationals that year, you know, like 137, 136, somewhere in that neighborhood. And so, uh, from then on it was, you know, probably at an unhealthy point where, you know, worried about the weight so much and, and controlled it with, with running. So anyway, when I, when I graduated, that was still my philosophy, heavy on, heavy on the running. And, uh, what I found with a lot of people is their body couldn't tolerate it, especially, you know, I'd spent my whole life building up to that point where, where I could, where I could take the pounding and, and a lot of people's bodies just didn't respond well. And so we had more injuries than I would I would like to admit they were generated more from running than, than anything else. Um, and so my philosophy at this point in my career after 20 some years has probably come 180 degrees the other way. I mean, we focus on strength as our base, as our primary um, philosophy, and we condition, you know, as, as the goal needs that and depending on the body that we're working with. So even for myself, for, for hunt preparation, I found that I could run. Um, we, we have a mountain here called gel mountain. It's, it's five miles, very steep up to this observatory. Um, you know, you end up well above 9,000 feet up there and then we, we run five miles back down. So 10 mile runs. And so I've had years where 
we focused heavily on running those types of situations, you know, getting ready to hunt in Alaska and, and do a lot of elk hunting in the, in the backcountry. And I can specifically recall spending most of my, my summer with that type of training, running 50, 60 miles a week. Strength was still, you know, auxiliary. It was on the back burner. I did it, but, you know, being very lean, you know, probably, um, you know, 150 to 155 for body weight. And, and I was, I was still pretty strong as a runner, you know, I mean, could, could run a 5k probably still around 16 minutes and getting into the back country and pounding up and down the hills for a couple of days and being very sore hunting. And so, you know, the light bulb came on and I'm like, wow, all this running and my quads are still taking a pounding back here. What's going on? You know, and I think that's because the, the, it's very, hiking is very much specific to hiking. And so the law of specificity comes into play where, I mean, you can be in great running shape, but it's not necessarily going to get you the kind of strength and endurance that you need for the mountains. So for me personally, um, and, and my coaching philosophy, if you love to run great, if your body can handle it, that's awesome. But I also think that, uh, depending on your goal and depending on how much time you're going to spend, um, in some serious mountain country, you may need to supplement with a whole lot of hiking as, as your preparation, you know, hiking up and down as well. Not, you know, not just linear out on the, out on the highway type hiking, but yeah, gotcha. Anyway, anyway so, so, and, and to take that a little bit further, cause you asked me about, you know, the difference between that, that, um, that cardio versus strength. And I, I tend to look at, I try to look at it more as conditioning. You know, I have a buddy that's, uh, um, getting ready to, to climb Mount Everest, you know? And so his VO two max, uh, is extremely important. And we're talking about, I mean, the king of all mountains, you know? And so his stroke volume, his heart, his heart power output over a long period of time has to be extremely conditioned. Um, for him, you know, we are still going to focus on conditioning. So rather than, um, you know, he had a doctor tell him, well, you need to go out for these super long bouts of, of cardio. Well, we know from science that we can, we can really shorten the duration down hill sprints, you know, anywhere from three seconds, 30 seconds to, to a couple of minutes are going to be what boosts his VO2 max much more. And with those uphill repeats is going to be much more specific to his training than going out and just doing long bouts of cardio. And he doesn't necessarily need to do all that running either. We know that we could, we could hammer the same kind of duration on an airdyne bike or on a rower or on a stair climber and get very similar, if not better benefits without any pounding on the joint. And so we decrease the risk of injury while increasing or at least getting the same kind of output out of the training. So just a, just a couple of things there to, to think about. Yeah, for sure. No, it makes sense. So you, you're just getting your cardio work in different ways. And like you say, um, in, in shorter duration, man, it's going to hard, it's going to be hard to get me off the, off the trails from running. It's just been so beneficial to me, but uh, again, I'm running all trails and all mountains up and down hills. And I think I get a lot of my strength training from that as well. 
Um, but my legs are never sore in the backcountry, you know, carrying a pack or packing a buck out or carrying a bull out or whatever it is. It's just always been so beneficial. But like you say, everybody's makeup is different and everybody's joints are, are different. And I, I'm I'm just a smaller guy with a really good frame on me and a and, and a muscly frame for a runner. But that that mountain running has been so beneficial to me. But um, I like that there's multiple ways to get to the same goal. And it sounds like um, you, you do put a huge emphasis on on conditioning, you know, which in turn is working your cardio. And I love to hear you mention, you know, training somebody for VO2 max because the your VO2 max is so important with high altitude, just like Everest, like you guys are training for, you know, like hunting the spots I hunt in Colorado are 13,000 feet. And a lot of the high country mule deer spots I am are, are above. 10,000 feet um, where I see guys just crumble and see and, and I've seen the other way too where guys are too muscly and like you say I've never seen any guy with a bigger build than me finish faster in a race you know it's it's yeah. always the lean guys that finish faster or have better times or you know and same thing in the mountains if I get a big muscly guy in the mountains he's cramping up before we can even make it to camp or you know day two or day three where my body recovers and so I've always been so cardio heavy and it sounds like you're getting that you're just getting it in different ways and you're also you know you're you're putting emphasis on the strength as well which strength is so important to have a good muscle build for for joint stability for for stability all throughout the mountains and and I do think that muscle is important I just like I have such an emphasis on cardio because of that just just because of the results I've seen over the years and and what I've seen from other people you know mm -hmm. yep Yep. You know, and I, I think that uh, that probably a lot of your training, you know, if you're able to hit the trails, that's going to be a lot more beneficial. One, because of the surface that you're running on is going to be more forgiving on the joints, you know, for sure. Um, and, and it's just it's a training environment that, that is going to simulate, you know, that backcountry a little bit more rather than, you know, like I said, when when we're doing that hill climb, it was just. You just straight up that dang winding dirt road, you know, and then and then straight back down. And so without that undulating terrain that you get, you know, with with regular trail running, um, you know, we were I was just lacking. There. Oh, copy. That and makes so, sense. Yep. Yeah. You know, and so, uh, yeah. And I just that that conditioning piece, I feel like it it helps you to be more well-rounded, you know, where uh, where I just don't feel like I'm, I'm broke down as much. Um, you know, a lot of guys, it, it might not matter to, but I mean, I've, I've been, the, I've been on both ends. I've, I've come in to season where, like, you know, like I was on the lighter side, you know, that 150 to 155 pounds. Uh, let me in interrupt on, Matt. How so, tall are you? Just, uh, I'm 5'10". 5'10". Okay. Yeah. Boy, that is skinny when you were 138 at nationals. Okay. Go oh ahead. Sorry. I just yeah. wanted to well, put a height with the weight. Oh, it's, it's ridiculous. Yeah. There's, there's a spot on, uh. If you look at uh, the About Me page on the iHuntFit.com, um, three-quarters of the way down, there's a before and after picture of me. There's one when I was running it at my best, um, you know, trying to trying to make that Olympic team. And then there was one from last year where I stepped on stage at the NPC um, show in Colorado where I was 190 pounds. You know, it, it's just it's crazy. But um, – but, you know, so I've, I've been on both both ends, you know, coming into that season a little bit heavier, you know, 180, 185, um, still conditioned my butt off for the hills. And I I prefer, you know, it's not it's not like I'm not doing the trail running. You'll see plenty of videos and stuff of me out there. They're trail running. But 
man, I just feel more well-rounded coming in a little bit on the stronger side, having really gone, um, pushed my legs through all kinds of strength endurance on the squats, lunges, deadlifts. Um, I, I love the way that I feel that way. I, I feel more like an animal than I do when I come in lighter and I feel a little bit weaker when I'm, when I'm packing, whether that's, you know, just packing for multiple days or, or, you know, packing animals out or, or whatever it is. But yeah, anyway, that, that so, makes you know, complete it, sense. Yep. It, um, it's it's, it's going to be a, a personal preference, you know, but I, I'm with you with, with a lot of the conditioning, there is no replacement for it. Um, I just tend to tend to fall a little bit on the other side of the spectrum nowadays, you know, and, and maybe it's because part of that time for me, I think broke my body down a little bit from those early days of, of, you know, running 150 to 200 mile weeks, week in and week out where my knees and ankles, they don't like it as much anymore, you know? And so I can use some of those other tools to still get in phenomenal shape without having some of those issues flare up. That makes total sense. Well, and, and uh, there isn't many guys that like to run either. If we can find a different way to condition, and I always like um, when you can find a way to condition where you don't really know you're working out, you know, whether it used to be wrestling or, you know, now men's league basketball, where you can get this workout that you don't really realize that you're getting a workout. I think that's the best of all worlds. But no, it sounds like you've got, um, like you say, you're getting the same conditioning and getting in the same fitness with a little bit more strength, it sounds like, um, but still with an emphasis on on cardio because like i say that that cardio just me you know that's how i kind of judge my fitness level and i want to have a good build but like i want my vo2 max as as good as it can be for high altitude for recovery um you know i also want like uh like the cardiovascular endurance test like and, and that's like when you're working out hard like how and i'm sure you know you know all this and even more which is great outlet to talk to you but like uh it, it's how fast you recover how fast your heart rate recovers and i think that also helps like day to day when you push really hard throughout the day when you get asleep at night you know you recover you get your you get your body used to this and and conditioned for it you know but it it sounds like we're getting the same re- results just through through different different avenues and different ways and it sounds like i could add you know some more strength training to mine as well to my workouts as well absolutely yep yeah you know and that's that's one of the that's one of the best things about fitness is there are a thousand ways to skin a cat you know there's there's so many ways to go about it and and end up at the same place you know it stands out to me you know like when i watch an mma fight you know we got these some of the best fighters in the world that use two completely different routes to get there. They both look phenomenal. You know that they can both bang hard for, for five full rounds, you know, and they use completely different training philosophies. So, um, lots, lots of ways to go about it and still be successful. No, oh, you're totally right. Um, yeah. So like when you're doing your cardio workouts, do you have a, a heart rate you shoot for or, and do you have like a, like a time that you like guys working out, you know, and I, I know it's specialized to per person, but like how many days a week for how long or how do you like to do that? You know? Yeah, boy, that, that is one that is, is going to be really specific, um, Per person, and it's also going to depend on um, what period of training we're in. If if I get a hold of somebody and I know that uh, you know we're training for a goal, a longer term goal, which is going to be six months or or longer out, 
we we get the the blessing we get the opportunity to periodize that training and and break it down into segments where we get to focus on building a real good base you know before we transition into strength endurance and before we work on you know some of those other areas that that we we need we can build that really strong base and so i guess that's that's how i would answer that question it it depends on on the period that we're in, you know, if we're building a really big base in the beginning, which I love to do. Um, and even if we just talk about from a cardio, a running standpoint, um, you know, we're, we're, we're focused on building up longer bouts, longer sessions, you know, longer time amounts of time on the feet. We're talking about long hill repeat type efforts. We're talking about if we do any kind of intervals, they're, they're much, they're longer intervals. Um, if, uh, you know, maybe we're doing fartlek runs, you know, where where we're trying to build the lactate system, but make it a little bit easier on the body to to recover while we build volume, you know. And then we would we would transition into to the next phase. So really, as we transition to into the next phase, things get shortened up. So we introduce more interval training. Um, intervals become a little bit shorter, but we also increase the intensity. And so. Um, you know, is it, it just really depends on how much time we have to devote um, to each person's training, and the longer amount that we have, the better for that period of periodizing. No, oh, for sure. Yeah, no, it makes total sense. And like you say, everybody's different. You know, I'm just trying to like for the for the average guy out there that wants to get started right now, and we are in that time period where you know we've got right now where we'd be building a good base like what would be a good goal for him to start out would it be you know and i i gosh i'm not very good at my rest days and that's probably something we'll get into as well (laughs) but um you know should guys be working out every other day should they be going four days on one day off and and during that duration do are we talking a half hour an hour whatever block of time they can get or or what do you think you know, it really depends on the starting point, right? Um, so, you know, I would be uh, I'd be a terrible coach if you know Joe walked in off the street and hasn't been doing anything for any amount of time. You know, whether it be a month or or ten years, um, you know, Joe's going to have some rebuilding time there, and so that that may be different. You know, uh, it depends on. Um, what Joe's uh, body weight is like, you know, does Joe need to lose a bunch of weight before we, we toss him in? Um, you know, are there prior injuries or current injuries, um, any kind of health issues? So all of those things, you know, and, and why it, it goes back to that question you asked me earlier, you know, I mean, training has to be personalized. Okay. And so I, I, I hate to give those general, I know, I know you want me to give those, <laughs> those general, generalized recommendations. Um, so let me let me preface it with that because I cringe to to say anything beyond that. Um, if it were somebody who already takes um, hunting preparation seriously, they've already got you know some familiarity with what works for them. I tell people that I am a believer that the body has no idea what a seven day week is. So for me personally, speaking for me personally, I guess is the safe way for me to go about this. Um, I train seven days a week if I can. I mean, and, and to put that in perspective for people, I have friends who train five days a week. So they take Saturday and Sunday off every week. They, they just tell me I'm, I'm going to take that off. It's family time. It's play time. It's whatever it is. I'm going to take every 
Saturday and Sunday off from here until the end of time. Okay, great. So we trained together, and two months down the road, I'm progressing a lot faster than they are, and they get frustrated, and they want to know, you know, gosh, we just started at the same place, you know, two months ago. How come your squat's gone up 40 more pounds than mine? Well, I didn't take two days off for the last a week, for the last eight weeks. That means I got 16 extra training days than you did. If you extend that out over a year and they take every Saturday and Sunday off, they miss 104 training opportunities in a year, 104 opportunities to get better. And I truly believe that there is always something that we can work on. I mean, there's always something that's going to be recovered, whether it's your abs, whether it's your calves, whether it's, you know, going in and hitting some yoga. There's always something that we can do to work and make ourselves better. So I believe in training all the time, because if you take, you know, we go back to that two day a week example, if you miss 104 training days uh, right off the bat because you say you're not going to work out Saturday, Sunday, what happens when you get sick? What happens when you get family obligations, work obligations, or you're just run down and you don't feel like it? I can tell you right now that those guys miss a whole lot more than 104 days a year, which really hinders the amount of progress that they can make towards their goals. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and and working out and being in good fitness, it's such a discipline, isn't it? Making yourself do it, you know, and 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 being accountable for your workouts, you know, what you set forth and and to accomplish your goals, you you have to be so disciplined. But yeah, I'm with you, and it sounds like so. Even though you say seven days a week, you're still giving that piece of your body days to recover and days to rest because the rest is so important for recovery of those muscles. So when you say seven days, you may only be working three days legs or five days cardio, whatever it is, but you're picking a specific body type or specific exercise that you're working on each of those seven days, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, and and you bring up a couple points there, you know, that seven days, you know, I mean, the a big piece of that is because, and it's something that we probably talk about later, and it doesn't matter whether we talk about exercise or nutrition, consistency is the key. You know, when I was younger, I spent, I spent way too much time obsessed with improving my running, absolutely obsessed. I read and watched and talked to everybody and every, every piece of information I could get my hands on looking for the secret, something that was going to make me a better runner, help me get to that next level. And you know, the secret is the same secret that applies to everything in life. doesn't matter whether it's fitness, nutrition, um, it's consistency. That is the secret to success, in my opinion. If we were to try to narrow it down to one word, one idea, it's consistency. I mean, try try to be a good parent, you know, for half the week and see how your kids turn out. Try to be a good spouse or partner for five days out of the week and then take two days off and see how your spouse reacts to you. Try to go into work and you're supposed to work 40 hours and you tell your boss, uh, yeah, I'm only going to, you know, I'm only into 25 hours this week. Either your paycheck's going to be hurting or you're going to be fired. You know, the boss is going to be having a serious talk with you. So there are no areas in life that you can be truly successful at if you're lacking that consistency. So exercise is the same way. That's, that's the way that seven days works for me. And you're exactly right. I think 
making sure that, and this, this comes back to the coaching piece where there are a lot of guys out there offering, you know, what they do in their training, but we only see a glimpse of that. We don't see what, how their training is structured. And so that can be a dangerous thing. You know, a little bit of information can be dangerous because, you know, if you just see somebody doing one type of training, you don't know what their recovery is like. You don't know how they're fueling your bo- their body to, to do that type of training and to recover. You don't know what their day after that looks like so that their body is recovered. So, yeah, it's real important to make sure that that training is structured in a way that the body is working. It's stressed enough to where it's going to improve, but you're still recovering to avoid injury and overuse. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, consistency. I, I like that. And it's, um, I've always lived by that, this motto that, you know, the harder you work at something, the better you get at it. And, and, um, and fitness is the same way. And if you've got these huge bow hunting goals out there, uh, fitness is such a huge piece to the puzzle. Um, you know, I can't, it's just like your 10 tips, the, why it makes you a better hunter. But, uh, you know, some guys have a hard time relating fitness to good, to, to, to being successful in the hunting woods, which, which to me, it's a, it's a no brainer. It just, um, it, it's helped me, you know, whether you're cutting off that herd of elk, whether you're going over the next mountain, whether you're going over the next ridge to look at the next piece, whether it's recovery time, fitness in the hills. And I, you know, I've also, I've, I've had a couple buddies in it, um, that have got exhaustion sickness in the hills where they absolutely push too hard to try to kill that buck or bull and make themselves sick to where they're throwing up, can't keep food down, can't keep water down. You know, I had, um, a couple buddies that happened to just a couple years ago, one in Nevada and then one in Colorado but that that fitness is such a huge piece to the puzzle and discipline and I like what you said about consistency it's it's every day living your life that way and that's that's what I believe about diet too is I don't believe in a diet that you can't stick to I think it's making small changes in your in your diet that you can live with that make you healthier and continually making those changes and transitions to where it's you don't need a cheat day you know you you live your life that way eating healthy and eating right Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm, I'm with you a hundred percent. So how do you, um, so my next question, like you say, it's so good. Um, we have kind of different approaches for the same things, but I've got a huge question about like the, the diet and your eating and how you feel about uh, ketogenic. And if you've looked into that at all, I have absolutely. Yeah. You know, uh, I am a big believer in the ketogenic, um, way of eating. Um, I think that, uh, it's tougher to introduce for some people than, than others for sure. Um, you know, as far as my personal nutrition philosophy goes with clients, uh, I try not to go with, uh, really push any kind of name diet. I mean, there are so many aspects of, um, nutrition out there that work and different ways of going about it that work for different people. I mean, we could, we could be blue, get blue in the face talking about all the different ways that, that have worked or, or don't work um, as far as nutrition goes. But I definitely believe that uh, there, some of the, the trends like the ketogenic diet are definitely on the right track. If I were to break my personal philosophy down, it would simply be eating on purpose. Um, a lot of my videos, a lot of my talks that I give um, – all comes down to that philosophy and making sure that we're eating on purpose to fuel our body with what it needs when it needs it. 
And if we're doing that, a lot of those other pieces are going to fall into place and they can easily be adapted to whether we, we, we go with more of a ketogenic diet or whether we go with um, intermittent fasting or whether we can combine some of those ideas. So eating on purpose is really our, our main objective. Yep. And so um, when you say eating on purpose, that's um, like eating to fuel yourself for the day. Like, um, uh, what do you mean by that? You know, I, I think that uh, every I think that every piece of nutrition can can fall under that philosophy. If we can say that we're doing it on purpose, um, then then we're on the right track. So, for instance, you know, the old model of eating our, our societal model of eating is breakfast, lunch, dinner. And, and now, you know, even if you look at, uh, oh, like uh, MyFitnessPal wants you to log, which a lot of people use, it's, it's breakfast, lunch, dinner, and then they have a place for you to log snack, snack. Um, your body, again, just like it has no idea what a seven-day week is, it has no idea what breakfast, lunch, and dinner are. You know, it, all it knows is that it needs fuel. And so one, one example that I like to give is, uh, you know, I try to use a car analogy. You know, why should we eat breakfast? Why should we eat when we when we first get up in the morning? Well, your body needs fuel, just like a car. So if you're going on a trip, if you're going to go drive six, eight hours, are you going to wait until you're halfway through the, the trip to fuel up and maybe run out of gas in between if there's no gas station? I, I don't think that that's probably very logical for most people. So same applies to the body. Uh, we need to fuel right away when the body needs it. So we know that we're going to be most active throughout the day. So that's when, if we're going to fuel the body with carbohydrates, that's when we want to do it. Um, we want to fuel the body with carbohydrates before workouts, for instance. Um, as most people's day goes on, our, our calorie needs, our energy needs decrease. Uh, and so should our uh, intake of especially carbohydrate forms of calories. So that's all eating on purpose to know when we fuel our body. Um, if you take it to the athletic realm or uh, the hunt preparation realm, you know, we're eating on purpose to fuel our training. You know, if we're in the back country, are we eating enough calories? Are we eating the right kinds of calories to fuel our body for the hunt? Those, those types of situations, it all comes down to eating on purpose. Gotcha. So, um, so like, uh, the only thing that I'd say too, is like, uh, running your car on empty or running your car with no gas is kind of like that, uh, like running in a, a ketonic state. So teaching your body to run without gas and teaching your body to run off its own fats it is then like, like I have this, this new, thought on it that that you know i've i've never been a big breakfast eater and i tried to make myself do it for years and i finally found that that i just run better like i i fast almost in the morning and, and i've taught my body to go into this ketonic state where it starts burning its fat for energy in that morning and i think the same thing on a hunt no matter how good you plan your meals or how many calories you bring in you're always going to be on a calorie deficit like when you're climbing Everest you can't pack enough calories in there and so like do you believe in teaching the body to run on a ketonic state where it can run off its own fats and then your body transitions from fuel to your own fats quicker to to produce energy like in the backcountry or in these hunts or long runs like sometimes 
I won't fuel myself before a run on purpose because I want to grind it out and I want my body to switch over to that ketonic state where I'm burning my fats, where I'm teaching my body to, to run off empty, to still have energy and to still have output. Does that, does that make sense? It does. And, uh, you know, a couple of things that I struggle with there are, and I think a difference in a lot of the people that I work with, we're talking about the average person, right? Um, I, I would say that my average client at the gym is a 45 year old, um, lady who needs to drop 40 to 50 pounds, wants to feel better, wants to be stronger. And she wants to be that way and have those results for the rest of her life. So I'm not going to try to get her to teach her body to live in a state of ketosis because it's probably unrealistic for her. It's probably not going to produce the right kind of results that she wants long term. And so it's different when we train for an event. And so one of the things that you're talking about there is training for the event of hunting, you know, just like we train for the event of of uh, my buddy going up Everest. It may not be realistic to stay in that state forever. It may or may not. You know, I, I don't know at this point, you know, if we're talking about strict ketosis, if that's the best fueling formula. Um, because what I, one of the things that we know is the human body is absolutely amazing, right? It, is, it absolutely blows my mind the things that we can eat and drink and the human body can process it and continue to function for a long <laughs> period of time. Right? Yeah, you're so and right. I, I will have somebody come in that's, you know, needs to lose 200 pounds. I mean, it's, 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 it's almost mind boggling sometimes 200 pounds. How does the body continue to function under that kind of stress and abuse? And so the body adapts very, very quickly to all different kinds of stresses, you know, whether we're talking about workout stress, whether we're talking about different kinds of eating, the body can adapt very quickly. It's, it's an amazing, amazing mechanism. And so sometimes I'm not always sure just because the body can do something, just because we can teach it to do something. I don't know that that's necessarily the best, especially if we're talking about long-term, you know, preparing for, for a race, preparing for an event, preparing for a season, those can be different things. That's kind of a different level, you know, than we're, we're talking about a different level of preparation, a different mindset, and a different attack there, approach than, than maybe for the, the general public for sure. Yeah, for sure. No, that makes complete sense. Yeah, no, there's just been a lot of studies and a lot of new literature out, you know, just in the past few years about ketosis and the ketonic state and a lot of endurance athletes are ad adapting to it. And I, you know, I found myself adapting to it and really getting a bunch of benefits out of it and realizing that, you know, now, you know, all of a sudden the the breakfast isn't so important. And I don't got to force myself to do it that I could, you know, that I can almost run off it. But like you say, different approaches for every person out there. I just wanted to pick your brain on a little bit and see if see if you had adopted any of that into your strategy or, or read any about that with the with the new craze of it going on yeah you know and and what what i love about it most is all the positive findings that they're that they're attaching ketosis to you know improvements in cancers and and different um different diseases is just awesome you know and so that's one of the the most positive things that i've found about the ketosis diet 
I'll, I'll tell you, you know, for the general person, just going back to that example, if, if I have somebody that's been struggling with, with weight for a long time, if, if they go too long without food, so if they, if they wake up and they don't eat or they're not eating often enough, if they're not fueling often enough throughout the day, it doesn't have to be big meals. We're talking about small meals that are, that we help them decide what, what exactly a small meal is. But, um, if it's, if they're fueling their body every couple of hours throughout the day and I can get them to that mode of eating, they tend to overeat less, you know, by the time the end of the day comes around. Because I would say that that's probably, if I had to pick an area, that's the number one downfall. If people aren't eating enough early in the day, they find themselves starving. They, they, they think they're starving. You know, that's, that's what they express. I'm starving in the afternoon at work and I can't focus. I'm starving when I get home and I eat the whole bag of potato chips. And so for, for me and for the general client, I have found it easier to get them to fuel all day long. And then by the time they get home, because they've eaten all day long, they didn't, they never had a crash. They never, they didn't get depleted or behind on their fueling and they didn't have some of those problems that we run into. And so just tends to be a better habit forming um, process that way. That makes total um, sense. And you, yeah. you lose more weight if you're eating every two hours or keeping yourself fueled, get your metabolism going strong from the morning on. And so that makes complete sense. And then, and, and then also, um, well, and I've noticed too, like uh, a big part of that is the sugar crash you get. You know, if you when you start cutting a lot of those sugars out of your diet, which is important whether you're, you know, on a ketonic diet or just a regular diet, is cutting those sugars out is so important. That, um, but that sugar crash, you don't seem to get as hungry, you know, in two three hours when you hit that sugar crash. If you're fueling yourself with the with the right fuels, the right proteins and fats and things of that nature, you just don't seem to get that that hunger craze every every couple hours or what you seem to keep yourself fueled throughout the day better it seems like yes sir that that would be one of the biggest changes people could make right is cutting a lot of sugars out of their diet or at least cutting down on their sugars and keeping their calories the same i would think yeah yeah absolutely you know we try to get a lot away from uh, a lot of the refined foods and and just getting back to to a clean style of of eating you know clean uh, clean components of that diet. So definitely uh, making sure that we're sticking with whole grains, you know, definitely heavy on the protein side of things, heavy on the healthy fats. So yeah, yeah I like it. Yeah, no whole foods, right? That's the only yes, way sir. to go. Just the, Absolutely. the perfect way to fuel your body. Absolutely. Yeah. You talk about weight loss. I mean, it is absolutely amazing. You get people just to, to cut out uh, that refined, that refined high processed stuff and you're making leaps and bounds right out of the gates oh i bet right and uh uh also well well, sugars is what you drink too but the what people drink too is just uh replacing that with water healthy options too can can make a huge change for guys in in weight loss and in health you know just just exchanging giving up the soda or giving up the juice or giving up whatever it is and and drinking water is a huge one absolutely i i push that water thing so much in fact i have a i haven't article um, hydration for hunters um, on the website now yeah huge huge believer you know i mean we we are at just americans we tend to fall somewhere in the neighborhood of 85 to 90 percent chronically dehydrated which is just staggering to me all the areas of our lives that, that proper hydration and just feeling better and, and having the body function better 
how, how much that that controls. It, it's crazy. You know, I mean, somewhere in the neighborhood of six percent dehydration. We're, we're such high water content beings that six percent dehydration level is going to pretty much put us in the dirt. And so it's, it's easy to see that a six percent can do that to us, that even a one to two percent level of dehydration is going to affect all kinds of things. And it can definitely play a role whether we're talking about training, day-to-day living, or, you know, trying to get after our goals in the backcountry. Oh, wow. What a great article, Matt. Yeah, no, that's um, – uh, I've never read anything, you know, hunting-related about hydration. No, what, a good, what a great idea and good subject to talk about. So, so how much water should guys be getting per day? Because I know if you drink too much at once, you're not doing your body any good. So what do you like for hydration for guys? I try to get uh, – I try to get folks – even with a moderate level, let's just say moderate level of activity to fall into the eight tenths to um, one ounce, eight tenths of an ounce to an ounce of water per pound of body weight per day. Okay. So a lot of times that's going to, that's going to, you know, for, for you and I, that, that ounce per pound of body weight, it's pretty doable. It's pretty realistic. Um, if you talk to somebody that, uh, you know, I have a buddy who is six foot ten, three twenty. Um, an ounce per pound of body weight is not realistic for him. You know, obviously, um, he he's got to really cut that back um, and still hydrates himself really well. But you know, we don't want him drinking three to four gallons of water a day. So <laughs> yeah, so so it's got it's got to be within reason. Yeah. But you you know, um, for for most people. If they if they would simply try to drink um, a little bit more than that that eight ounces that eight um, eight eight glasses a day that I think the USDA recommends you know I mean if you could if you could drink one of those glasses every hour instead yeah. of limiting it limiting it to eight glasses a day oh my gosh you've got it made right there. You know, and so one of the steps I try to take is to get clients, I mean, if they carry a bottle of water around to make sure that they're drinking, um, you know, that uh, 12 to 16 to 20 ounce bottle of water, you know, somewhere around one an hour. You know, so the the first complaint and pushback that I get is, well, I'm going to have to be peeing all the time. Well, yeah, you are, but I want you to try it for, for a week and tell me how much better you feel. So. Yeah, for sure. So I gave some really bad advice on a podcast that I was on. One of the first ones I did, the Backcountry podcast, I talked about hunting and these high country mule deer, they get all their moisture, you know, or a lot of their moisture, at least in the early part of the season, all from their food content, from the, the dew on the grass and, and uh, from the moisture in the feed, in the in the green feed or whatever. And so, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of these places I hunt for these high country mule deer on 10,000, 11,000 foot ridgelines where there is no water. And like one of my favorite spots, there's 10 miles where there's no water in through there. And so they asked me, you know, how much water does it take me? And I, you know, I was telling them that I, that I like to live off these, these places where there isn't much water. It's hard to get. Um, and told them that I, you know, that I'll, I'll limit myself 50 ounces a day. And if I, if I really need to go for it, I can make it work 32 ounces a day. Um, which was really bad advice, which I got a ton of messages on guys, just not understanding how I could live off 32 ounces a day, but I, (laughs) I am a small guy and I, in good fitness, do you, 
Do you think fitness plays a role in how much water you need or how far you can push your limits on these hunts? Because I know, you know, I can run 32 ounces per day in the backcountry hunting these high country mule deer. I did it, you know, just I've done it a few trips this season, you know, when I when I have to conserve water. And I know that isn't good running the ragged edge. But as mm-hmm. a wrestler, you know, I was always cutting weight and trying to cut weight the right way. But you're still cutting water weight out. Um, and sure. I know that's one of the most unhealthy things for you is to dehydrate yourself, you know, as far as wrestling. And, and as far as these fighters talking about UFC, it's it's one of the worst things about, about fighting is how, how far they dehydrate themselves. But I feel like safely I can run that ragged edge. Do you think fitness plays a role in how much water you need? Absolutely. Um, I, I think there's no doubt about that. I think it's kind of, it's kind of funny. I think it goes back though to the human body is absolutely amazing. Um, I used to have a problem when I was running. If I once I got below 5:30 per mile pace, um, I some at sometimes I would have cramping issues. You know, the runner stitch under my ribs. Um, and then when I would approach race pace, you know, so, um, anything longer than 10 K if I was running somewhere around five minutes or faster per mile, I was probably inevitably going to have some kind of cramping issue go on. But I found that if I didn't drink, um, a couple hours beforehand, didn't eat or drink a couple hours before the race and didn't drink during the race that I wouldn't, I wouldn't get the, the cramping issue, at least not to the, the level that I did before. And so um, when I used to race the marathon, um, I wouldn't drink the whole race. Oh, wow. And so and, and, and we know that, man, from start to finish over the course of two hours, I was absolutely running dehydrated at the end of that race, you know, and, and I have no doubt that, you know, theoretically, my performance suffered because of that. Was I able to do it? Yep human body is amazing what it can adapt to and what it can get through. Um, same thing in the backcountry. Can the body do it? Absolutely. Absolutely. The body can do it. Is it performing at its best? I think we could both probably agree that the answer would be no, you know, can we make it work and get by? Absolutely. So it's kind of comes down to splitting hairs with, you know, where, where you want that to fall, you know, whether you want it to be on the side of, Yep, I can get by with this, or I can get by with this, but I'm going to add in a little bit more because I want to be able to perform better in that situation. I'm going to recover better. I'm going to function better. Um, I'm, I'm going to keep my heart rate under control better. I'm going to have more focus. Um, I'm going to think more clearly because I'm a little bit more hydrated oh that makes Uh, total sense yeah no you're so right the the human body is just amazing um and you can you can push it so far and and beyond what what you even think you can push it um that's just amazing running a marathon not taking a drink or drinking beforehand (laughs) that's crazy (laughs) i know it you know and, and and i don't want people to get the wrong impression there i trained that way to be able to do that you know and so it wasn't something that i just willy nilly you know well, I'm going to, I'm going to race this whole time and I'm, I'm not going to drink, you know I mean? I slowly progressed over the course of seasons to where I, I got that way, you know, 
I'm the I'm the same way. I I don't take any water if I'm running 12 or less miles. I don't drink any on my runs, you know, anything longer than that, and I start to bring water. But it's the same thing for me, where I I kind of train and condition my body for it. And and even though, like you say, I uh, probably not can uh, performing at my my absolute best. Um, I can make it work for the spots that I'm hunting to do what I need to do to to manage my water. But I I totally get what you're saying. I'd probably be better off if I trained more strength and was just able to drop that 3,000 feet elevation and get water, you know, a day earlier and then hydrate myself a little bit better where I'm not running that ragged edge as much. You know, I I could probably perform better, think clearer, uh, recover better. So I think you make a great point there. Yeah, yeah, possibly. You know, and it's just to each his own. Um, so you, you know, you know what you're doing, you know, what works for your body. And so I, I think that that's the, the plan that you should follow. You know, um, I just don't, uh, you know, you and I both want, want, uh, our fellow hunters to make sure that, that they prepare in the right way to do those things. Yeah. Rather than, like you said, um, you know, telling somebody that you can get away with 30 some ounces or uh, a day, um, there's, there's a lot of people that if they put themselves in that situation, they're, they're going to end up sick. You know, they're going to end up hurting units and, um, you know, that could be a bad situation. Oh, so. there's nothing more dangerous than dehydration. Yeah. You're, you're really rolling the dice with it for sure. You have to know and listen to your body, train for it, be used to it. But yeah, it's, um, not think, something I recommend, <laughs> you know, the, the body can live without a lot of things and it is resilient, but you do not want to dehydrate yourself in the mountains and not be able to get out of there. So yeah, I think it's, I think it's knowing your body over 10, 20 years of training and knowing what it can do and, and how to monitor it and, and uh, how to keep tabs on it. But but even me, it's still rolling the dice, and I've got a family I've got to come home to, too, and if it means dropping down one more time for water, you know, I, I can't let myself get to that edge or, or get, take myself over the edge where I can't recover on a solo hunt or I can't make it down. So, no, I uh, uh, safety uh, is the first three rules of the backcountry, right? Safety, Not safety, totally. safety. You just <laughs> can't, right. you can't push uh, that one no matter who you are. So, no, I think you're right. But like I say, that was really bad advice I got that I got a bunch of people asking me like how how I lived off that much. And like I say, I think I'm just a small guy and conditioned myself to it over the years. And I didn't think it was that weird until, you know, I got a hundred different comments about my water use. So now I'm a little bit more more conscientious <laughs> when I'm talking about it. But um no, I just a uh, good question to ask while I had you on the line. Well, how Absolutely. was your how was your hunting season? Oh, uh, it was pretty good, you know, it was a little bit different for me this year. Um I have a 15 and a 13 year old who archery hunted um, elk their their first season this year, and so uh, 13 year old uh, hunted most of his time with my dad, and the 15 year old was with me, and so obviously trying to make that uh, the most successful experience for him that I could, uh, everything was was about him, you know, and we uh, we had some amazing amazing encounters. I think we ended up um, by the by the end of September mainly hunting, you know, three day three day weekends with those guys, we ended up, uh, just with the older boy, we had nine elk inside 30 yards, um, and, and didn't seal the deal. <laughs> so <laughs> you can, uh, you can imagine a, a little bit of a, a frustrated dad still trying to, uh, smile and, and dreaming about all the times I could have sunk an arrow into a, into a bull. But, uh, man, I'll tell you, he probably learned more this season than I did in my first 10 years of, of bow hunting elk. And, uh, you know, both boys ended up, filling their tags in rifle season and so it was, it was successful but yeah different different situation uh 
but but fun nonetheless. How about yourself? Brandon? Oh man, good for you. No, that's awesome. Getting those kids out is everything. Yeah, thirteen and fifteen. Uh, those are the perfect ages. Yeah, I'm I'm sure you pushed them hard, but gosh, to have nine elk inside a uh, bow range or whatever. But it just doesn't come natural to these kids. They have to learn everything and learn thing learn things through experiences. And like you say, you being able to get them that many experiences and hiking around the mountains with you and and teach that many lessons. Like you say, he learned what what we did in in ten years of hunting. He learned in a year. So uh, uh, good for you. No, that's so uh, next level. But yeah, you got to make sure you get a few days for yourself but it, it's tough you're trying to focus and get your kids days of feel so good for you it doesn't get any better than that oh man it was yeah it was fun for sure you know uh i keep telling him by the time he's 20 i mean he's gonna know he's gonna know everything there there is possibly to know about elk i'm sure he's still gonna have lots of encounters that teach him something but um definitely gonna know a heck of a lot more than than i knew even by the time i was 40 so uh, right yeah that is just awesome man and then and then they filled their tags in the end uh uh, with a rifle but a bow is just so tough right it just takes uh uh, that much more to have everything come together and i'm sure their effective range is a little bit (laughs) you know shorter than yours would be and 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 things of that nature and just learning you know when to get drawn and and when you can take the shot and the whole deal (laughs) but good for you and then showed them some success in the end they they both got their elk huh yeah, yeah. So it was it was great. Uh, older one, he uh, he filled out first day of the rifle, and then uh, and then I was able to take the the younger one with me, and and that was great too because most of his time had been spent with my dad, who's older, and so they spent a lot of time sitting and and glassing and and uh, maybe a little bit longer at calling stands and things of that nature, and uh, so he didn't get as much moving around as as I like to do, and so it was. It was kind of fun once I got to take him with me. He got uh, <laughs> he got uh, a rough introduction to uh, all the deadfall and, and and all the country that we cover, you know, trying to find elk. So, but, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, great, great season. Yeah, good for you, going for it. Uh, no, that's great. Yeah, no, I've got a 13 year old girl and then a nine year old girl, and the nine year old hunts with me a little bit, not on her own, of course, yet, just as a as a tag along when we can go more on easier hunts, antelope hunts, and that. And then uh, my older girl was so busy with sports this year, and she's a heck of a bow shot. And we've we've done quite a bit of elk hunting with her bow. Um, you know, this year she wanted to focus. Um, she's had fun with her rifle and a little bit more success. So we were able to plan an adventure hunt with her and and go out and do. We did three days where we kind of you know slept and we just camped around the truck and then day hunted or whatever but covered a bunch of miles and then she was able to get a nice buck um uh so yeah no just so cool to get kids out and share that with them and those experiences with dad uh those are just priceless i know i i still remember all the times being out following my dad around the hills um but that's just great yeah what a successful season absolutely absolutely that's great brian yep um and then uh so i saw on your instagram that you've been to africa how was that experience Oh, you know, uh, it was, it was so much different than I thought. Um, you know, I'm writing an article about it right now because I had asked some guys about it, um, their experience hunting Africa and, you know, I, I didn't get much of a, a response, you know, it, in fact, one guy told me, uh, oh, that's a, that's a beer hunt, you know? And so my expectation of what I was going to get over there was kind of mixed, you know, I, obviously watch guys on the outdoor channel and whatnot do it. Um, and it was something I dreamed about forever. Uh, you know, I chose an outfitter who 
super, super knowledgeable, um, grew up in the, the area of South Africa where we were, um, spent a huge part of his adult life working for the conservation um, agency there. And so it was just so knowledgeable and he knew exactly what I wanted and that I didn't want it to be a beer hunt. And it, it definitely wasn't. Um, I took 14 animals while I was there and every, just about every one of them was one opportunity at a trophy class animal. You had split seconds to make it happen. And, and so it was just super rewarding experience for me. It was also, uh, my wife and I, it, we celebrated our 15th wedding anniversary while we were over there. And so neither of us would, uh, trade that trip for, for anything. It was amazing. Oh man. Good for you. Yeah. That does sound amazing. So, um, you hunt with both weapons over there, rifle and a bow. I did. I did. Um, you know, I would have much rather preferred to hunt with a bow the whole time and taken, you know, a fraction of as many animals as I did. Uh, but they had been going through a drought period. And then two weeks before we showed up, uh, they got quite a bit of rain. And so there was water everywhere. And so, um, as you probably know, you know, one of the keys over there to bow hunting, um, because of the, because of the thickness of the country and, and just the wariness of the animals. I mean, you, you have to sit water most of the time when you're archery hunting over there. And uh, it just wasn't working for us. We tried for several days um, of the 14-day hunt on, on water, and, and it just wasn't happening. And so we got out and about, and when I could make an archery uh, spot and stock happen, I did it. Um, and, and when I couldn't, then we, we opted for the rifle and and went with that experience so oh man good for you well and i i'd say like that's the only thing that that why i haven't caught the bug or why it's turned me off about africa is because all the archery hunts seem to be sitting over water um and not like i know like in some places you have to hunt what's most effective i know that's why whitetail hunters sit in tree stands even though i can't stand to sit in a tree stand you know i want to be out <laughs> yep. and getting an exercise and hitting the mountains and in covering country but in whitetail country you know if if you chase them off your property going and walking through country you never see them again you have to play this this tentative game of trying to outsmart them and outsmart them on on their trail or on their turf in a small piece of country where you can't chase them out and so that that's um, it's it's interesting to hear that you got some spot and stock opportunities with your bow. That's like my dream. If I could go over there and spot and stock with my bow, and that's the rifle hunting looks so fun over there because you get to actually be in the brush and and go yep. hunt and cover miles. Like like yep. I haven't hunted with a rifle for ten years, but that sounds enticing to me because that's that's like the fun type of hunting that I like to do. Yeah, absolutely. You know your uh, your time spent researching and going with the right the right. Uh, you know, outfitter for you is, is, is worth everything. You know, um, it doesn't matter to me what their, what their website page looks like. If it's covered with animals, I mean, that it, it doesn't matter. You know, I want to talk to the outfitter and know what his philosophy was. And so, I mean, that, that's what worked out really well for us. I mean, I, I've talked to a lot of guys, I got a vervet monkey with my bow and, uh, I mean, I've talked to a lot of guys that said, you know, the only time I saw him was, you know, at, over a hundred yards and they were always running and they pretty much were for us too. And we we happened to find a, a group of monkeys that were just in the right, right spot where I could, I could sneak on him. And, uh, I, I tell you when I hit my anchor point, his eyes were on me and he was about to run and I loosed the arrow and the tracker that was with me about fell over laughing because the monkey saw the arrow coming 
and he just couldn't do anything about it as it as it zipped through him, you know. And I mean, so out of out of all my animals, that monkey is one of the coolest trophies because they're so smart and so challenging. But you know, it just it just worked out right. I think if you go with the right expectation, knowing that it's going to be super challenging, and if you're you're committed to the bow, you may only come home with one, two, three animals, then, then go for it. You know, um, if you're, if you're going to go hybrid, you know, you're probably going to have a little bit more success with, with the rifle added in there, but it, it was still, it, it was amazing where we were at. We, 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 we counted 54 different species of, of animals while we were there. I mean, we were constantly seeing, seeing things that, that a lot of people don't get to see because of where we went and, and, and how it was set up. So it was, it was great. Man, how crazy cool, Matt. Yeah, that is awesome. Uh, uh, such a, a cool diversity. I mean, that country is so game rich. And I, I just like I feel like if you could walk through it and get the full experience with the with the noises and, and predators out there and seeing the game and being able to stock up on it. Um, man, congratulations on such a great trip. And that that monkey sounds way cool being able to stock <laughs> up on that thing and get a good shot on him and probably a pretty small target, too. Right. Yeah, it was, it was a small target. It was. Yeah, that was that was a good one. You know, there's just there's so many good ones. They were all good, you know, and to have my wife there made it made it even better. You know, there's just so many things that a lot of people even on a photo safari um, in the park over there don't get to experience. You know, I I uh, I, I killed my zebra and we, we were up checking out the zebra and my wife, she's sweetheart. She she was always uh, she always needed to pee and didn't want to tell anybody. She wanted to wait until after I had taken something, you know, before she would admit that she needed to stop. So, um, so, so I take the zebra one morning and she's like, okay, I gotta pee. Okay. Well, you, you don't want to go very, they don't, they won't let you out of their sight, you know, because there's, you know, there was a high threat of leopards where we were at, um, and, and Buffalo and they were, you know, really worried, uh, about that. And so I had to accompany her, you know, to any time that she needed to pee. Anyway, so we go into the brush and, and she's peeing and, I'm, uh, I'm seeing what's coming and I'm, I'm kind of, I'm in disbelief. I'm like, this is going to be so cool. And she finishes and pulls up her britches. And, and I said, Esther, you gotta, you gotta look up. And this bull giraffe had walked up. They're so curious. He had walked up right behind her and another one comes over beside him and they're looking down at her and she's looking up. I mean, she has to look almost straight up to be able to take a picture of this giraffe that had walked up behind the bush behind her just so cool that, that most people don't get to experience just unbelievable <laughs> oh, man that is just wild yeah good for you guys yeah that's amazing you got plans to go back you know i would like to what i would really like to do you know uh you know part of me wants to go over and and hunt some predators um because this place was was so amazing i mean we had we had honey bad we had two honey badgers in camp while i was there we saw um uh, serval and civet cats. Uh, we saw leopards and cheetahs. Um, they, there was a giant leopard while we were there. We saw a spotted hyena. Um, all things that needed a permit ahead of time um, that, that I didn't even have the option to, to hunt while I was there. So I would love to go back for something planned like that and, and really take it to another level that way. Um, and, and really, um, if I if I go back, I will take my boys. You know, even if even if all they get to do is shoot some warthogs or some impalas or something, um, that's how amazing it was for us where we went to experience the culture. Um, it, it was just, it was something else. You know, we spent most of our time 
in South Africa. And then we went up to Zimbabwe for several days and uh, just 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 amazing. All, all the culture, the people that we met. Um, I, I think that that's something that everybody should should be exposed to, you know, to see a trickle of water coming down the mountain. And anytime there was a trickle of, of mountain come, water coming down the mountain, there was a line of people washing clothes, you know, and, and camped out there. And, and just everybody needs to see that, you know. Oh, man, amazing. Appreciate, appreciate, appreciate makes you appreciate what we what we have even that much more. Oh, right. Gives you perspective on life and the whole thing in general, right? A great thing to, like you say, take your boys or I'd love to take my family to show that. But it, it'd just be good perspective. Um, yeah, just a totally different world than we live in, right? Absolutely. You know, I mean, the uh, our tracker over there, he was he showed up at camp in the dark, you know, maybe 5 a.m. each morning. He was there until at least 10 or 11 every night, worked his tail off all day long and he made eight bucks a day as the flat rate. Um, and so, you know, we, we've heard a lot about it because of, you know, the, 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 uh, lion killing, um, and, and really a lot of the anti hunters out there have absolutely no idea how much our hunting dollars over there impact those communities. I mean, when, when I left, we gave him $500, American in tip and that I mean you're talking about somebody that makes eight dollars a day I mean that, that was just one tracker that's just one small you know piece of of impact on on that community and and how dramatic that is to me and so um yeah I I would love it if if everybody could go over and and support that that community and make sure that that's something that future generations get to participate in because that's really the only reason why those animals are still over there is because of the conservation done through hunting. Man, it sounds life changing. Yeah, that's um, absolutely awesome. No, I think you're right. I think we all need to go experience that. That's just wild. Yeah, yeah, very cool experience. Huh. Well, Matt, I've bent your ear here for way too long. Thanks a bunch for um, being on. So, where can guys get a hold of you? I know you've got um, the website, um, ihuntfit.com, right? Yeah, and that would be perfect, Brian. I've got my contact information plastered all over there, either a link or a form. My phone number's on there, my email's on there. So I love to, I love nothing more than uh, talking about all this stuff. So whether it's debating things or, you know, guys just have questions, um, just, just hop on iunfit.com and, and reach out to me and, and we can go from there. Yeah, um, like I say, I think it's it's such a great niche for niche for the industry, and I I think guys could really get a bunch of benefit out of it. And if you're serious about your hunting season and serious about getting in good fitness, you know, I'd say get a hold of you. Your your knowledge. Um, uh, I learned a ton today. I've got a page of notes so just for myself and my own <laughs> questions. Um, but definitely, yeah, get a hold of you. Um, uh, just a, a, a vast knowledge of fitness and fitness level. And I love that you had a, a running background. Um, so it, 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 it made a lot of weight to what you said to me just because of, of like you say, you were such an uh, elite athlete runner um, that's changed his, his fitness or not changed his fitness, but his training towards a lot more strength. And, and uh, so that brought a lot of weight to me. Um, but yeah, thanks again, Matt. And let me know um, anything I can do. Stay in touch. I'd love to have you on again. Um, great conversation. Like I say, thanks for, for being able to debate some of these things and, and some of these questions I had. Um, I, I sure appreciate it, man. 
Absolutely. I appreciate the opportunity, Brian. It was it was a lot of fun. I, I love it. So Sounds good. All right. We'll keep in touch, Matt, and, and uh we'll uh we'll talk later. All right, you also. Thanks a lot, Brian. Okay, thank you. Bye. Bye.